Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that I believe is one of the most important topics that directly affects every aspect of the development of our kids into healthy, successful, and morally courageous leaders in our communities. That topic is sex education, and more specifically, sexual risk avoidance. Comprehensive sex education curriculum has been implemented in virtually every school in America, regardless of whether you're in a red or a blue state, and it's effectively robbing your kids' innocence, creating confusion around gender, and failing to equip our kids with the truth and tools that they need to navigate their teen years successfully, to avoid sexual risks that can damage their physical and emotional health and derail their future. So our guest today is an expert in these areas. Her name is Marianne Mozak. Marianne is the president and CEO of Ascend, a nonprofit organization that equips the sexual risk avoidance field to help youth thrive. Marianne, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. You bet. Well, this is a really, really big topic. And truthfully, what brought this topic of helping our teens avoid sexual risk for me was your press release. Your press release revealed that our government, that funding designated for implementation of sexual risk avoidance education programs, which, as you will say, empowers youth to avoid sexual risk, has been eliminated by the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services and all of the Appropriations Act of 2023. So tell us, as we get started, tell our audience what sexual risk avoidance education is. Okay, well, sexual risk avoidance education is actually primary prevention when it comes to a risk behavior. So it is the same message that we would give uh, students or even adults on smoking. You know, if you don't smoke, don't start. If you are smoking, let us help you stop. So sexual risk avoidance is not simply about telling kids how to reduce their risk in sexual activity, it is how to eliminate that risk. So we're all about wow. optimal health and it is a, a wonderful alternative uh, to comprehensive sex education, which goes along with the premise that kids are gonna have sex anyway. And so we need to you know, give them condoms and contraception at early ages uh, so that they can reduce their risk. Right. I love that comparison. So I wasn't expecting that. The comparison to uh, to smoking, for example, a behavior that we know now, of course, you know, when <laughs> when my parents were kids, they didn't know that smoking was necessarily bad for you, you know, and they would even say they started when they were teenagers and it was a behavior that made them cool. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but when you when you link that idea that, hey, we wouldn't tell kids today to start smoking as teenagers. We, in fact, we probably wouldn't tell them to start smoking at all. But I love the idea that you're not trying to reduce the risk. You're trying to avoid behavior that can be destructive, especially at that those younger ages of life. Is that true? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we have some built in uh, examples of it. They're very current. And you, when you think about primary mm -hmm. prevention, um, what has the CDC been telling all of America and world for what the last two years, two and a half years? Uh, we can we can talk about the efficacy of those uh, primary prevention methods, but what were they saying? Wash your hands, uh, do social distancing, wear a mask, and the and the purpose was 
to prevent um, to, you know, not just to reduce your risk, but to prevent it. They wanted, you know, that was what it was. It was a primary prevention kind of public, uh, you know, population-wide effort. Well, this same concept is what we, we teach in uh, sexual risk avoidance education. It's not a new concept, but it very accurately yeah. um, makes a, a difference between the two approaches, risk reduction versus mm -hmm. risk elimination. I love that, you know, and as a parent of four kids, uh, you know, that are all grown now, this idea of, of, uh, preventing is a really big deal, right? Because you're telling your kids to prevent certain things. You're teaching them about the, the benefits of things, the risks of things, and you're teaching your kids to, to apply wisdom, right? It, the one thing that you just said is, you know, the CDC had these guidelines during the last couple of years. And of course we can argue about the, uh, the effectiveness of their prevention strategies, which of course now we know. Anyway, that's another topic. Absolutely. The interesting there thing there is I can't believe how often our government gets things wrong. Like they are, if you were to put it on a scale, they're probably wrong on just about everything. This topic of sexual risk avoidance, you know, prevention, the, I, in my view, they're completely wrong on, and the data would show that, right? I mean, the data would tell us that the strategies of hypersexualizing our kids versus helping them to make decisions to wait and be responsible, those statistics are pretty disparate, aren't they? They definitely are. And, and speaking of statistics, and, and I hope your listeners will appreciate this, um, right now, uh, and, and I know this will sound very antithetical to what we're talking about, kids are having less sex. Uh, now than they did 25 years ago. In the age group of 15 to 17, uh, the CDC does what's called a youth risk uh, survey, behavior survey. And they have found that more like in terms of males, 72% of males in that category report not having sex. 66%. Wow. So uh, we would argue that they're, they're actually you know, having less sex now and that we should be continuing to reinforce that positive trajectory rather than um, early sexualization by giving them too much too soon and, and also inappropriate yeah. information. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's interesting you say that. And I wonder why that is, right? I wonder why this is true of this age group. I wonder if it's because they're so distracted by social media or because they're, we're, we're extending adolescence into our mid-20s now. I mean, we're, we're failing to launch, right? We're not preparing our teenagers to be upstanding, uh, strong, courageous, morally principled people who are taking responsibility at four, 13, 14, 15 years old. We're delaying that till their mid-20s, heck, even into their 30s now. I wonder if that has something to do with this. Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, folks who have positive why those numbers are the way they are. Um, the isolation of the internet access to pornography. There are a lot of things we don't, we just don't have any definitive studies that say this is why kids are having less sex, but that doesn't mean that they are not being sexualized. And what yes. we are doing is accommodating uh, every kind of sexual proclivity. Uh, and we're calling that kind of progressive and enlightened and affirming, if, if you will. Yes. Classroom. Yes. Okay. Th this is a big topic, right? Because we have in all of our comprehensive sex education now, 
which is, by the way, kind of the the policy across the country. This isn't this really doesn't matter where you live anymore because this is led by the unions. This is led by the National Education Association. This is led by the teachers union. Um, you have to really fight now to to not have that sexualized curriculum happening in the earliest days when kids are four and five years old. Do you is that one of the current concerns that you see today? Is this earlier and earlier and earlier assault on the innocence of our kids? Uh, absolutely. I'm actually writing an article right now called The Violation of Vulnerabilities. So you have young children, right? And, and, and let me back up. I think right now we have um, individual activists and organizations that are really dedicated to social engineering not just for young children, but for society in general, that want to regulate how we think about sex and sexuality. And what better place to start than to manipulate very vulnerable young children um, with uh, radical sexual ideologies, uh, you know, under the guise of all kinds of really good sounding things like social and emotional learning, or, um, you know, good touch, bad touch. But what it boils down to is too much, too soon. And it's a violation of so many things we know, even about social, psychosocial development of, 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 of yes. children. I mean, it's just, it's a yes. horrendous sexualization, but it is definitely yes. an agenda. Uh, I will say yes. too, no Planned question. Parenthood, for your listeners, is the largest sex educator of our children now. Okay, I want you to repeat that because most people don't believe it, oh. but it's true. Say that one more time. Planned Parenthood is the largest sex educator of our children in schools across America right now. And if you think that you might live in a conservative area, you might live in a red area, whatever you want to think, or you might have just moved to a red state and you think this isn't happening in your state, you've got a rude awakening coming, just so you know. Planned Parenthood is involved in curriculum around the country, probably around the world. And and most of us, many of us, certainly half the country is not excited about the industry that Planned Parenthood is involved in. And we certainly don't want them involved in creating curriculum for our kids, do we? Absolutely. Um, you know, the more kids have sex, the more unplanned pregnancies there are. Um, that is actually a pipeline to the abortion industry. So now I will say this, in sexual risk avoidance and at Ascend, we do not conflate the two issues, but we do challenge uh, uh, Planned Parenthood because they are the authors of some of the most outrageous and explicit uh, sex education materials you have ever seen. And I know that your listeners are probably um, above average in terms of awareness. Uh, And I find myself that way. I've been doing this for 20 years. And I was just sent a book called It's Perfectly Normal, the 2021 edition. And the graphics in this are absolutely pornographic by anyone's standards. Um, Mutual masturbation, uh, you know, just, well, I I could go on and on. I don't need to describe the graphics, but I I will guarantee you that this is the brand. This is the explicitness that we're talking about. And, and, you know, Jimmy, it has gone far beyond, you know, condom demonstrations in classrooms. We are now promoting, you know, trans identities 
um, yes. and uh, gender fluidity and taking advantage of students right at the time. Let, If you don't mind, give me a little liberty here to talk about, you know, yeah. puberty. So kids at that age, their bodies are changing, right? They're, uh, and it's, it's almost like it feels like a betrayal, you know, who am I? And they have all these things yeah. that are going on. And they're also um, at the same time, uh, our, our educational, you know, PIJ theories and uh, talking about child development will tell you that they're going, they're trying also to define who they are. What, what it's called ego yes. identity. They're trying to find that. Mm -hmm. So coupled, they had this layer of physical, emotional, psychosocial things all going on at the same time. And then right at that time, we're saying, oh, you can decide. This is a great time for you to make life altering decisions about your sexuality and your gender. And it, it yes. just defies not only common sense, but everything we know about social science and medical research. Exactly. I think the thing that's hard for good people to get their head around is how diabolical this actually is and how disturbing it is. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the areas that we've been really active in is getting people to show up at their school board meetings and expose this garbage, literally bring yeah. books to the school board meeting, read the content, yes. show the pictures. In the vast majority of these moments, the Board of Education will shut down your sharing that information because it is inappropriate for an adult to read it in public. And yet we offer it to our six, seven, eight year old kids in the libraries and we don't see a problem with this. Yeah, right. We don't see a problem, but, you know, I mean, every, any, anyone who has two eyes and common sense and uh, even, you know, yes. you know, just just a thinking person. And yeah. especially if you have children, young children, I have grandchildren now. And when I yes. think about, you know, oh, my word, they're going to put this in front of them. Oh, um, can you imagine? Yeah. And, and it will scar, it'll scar them, won't it? I mean, it's going to scar their mind and yeah. their spirit yeah. and their emotions. Yes, because they can't process it. It's no. cognitively way above their ability to process. And yeah. so it, it and to, you know, they come in under the guise of good touch, bad touch. Oh, we just want to teach kid kindergartners so we can reduce sexual abuse, you know, but that is not really what they do. They're, they are using so many seductive ways to teach our children. I reviewed a curriculum recently, and they um, also endorsed by Planned Parenthood, that, um, you know, they use toys to begin a conversation with kindergartners. Is there an adult telling you that you can't play with certain toys because you're a girl or you're a boy? And that's how the conversation begins, right? Wow. And then wow. you, you go through the lesson plan and you can see it build. It's very seductive. And then, yes. it, you know, and then we, but when you boil it down, it's really, you know, a, an attempt to get these these very young, vulnerable children to ignore what their parents are saying to them. Yes. It's, it's amazing how it's unacceptable, isn't it? Right. As a parent with kids that have gone through the schools, it's unacceptable. And I was just thinking you said a couple of things. You know, our curriculum and these conversations in our schools, by the way, they're secret conversations. None of yep. this has to be exposed to your parents. It's very unusual that there's a, a program like they have in, in Florida. They've got good leadership in Florida that's 
elevating yeah. the role of the parents again. That's very unusual. And even in states where you think it's buttoned down, this garbage is still happening. It's yes. happening in secrecy. It's happening in silence. You mentioned manipulate. I would use the word grooming. We would never allow any adult to have these conversations with our six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old, 16 year old. I would never allow a neighbor, a friend, a babysitter to have these conversations. In fact, I would say it would be criminal. Uh, there would be a big problem between you and your neighbor for sure. You would definitely not let your child be around those neighbors again because these conversations, this material is completely out of bounds. Right. What, what do you, and, and yet we use it in our schools all the time. Right. And if it was done in the workplace, it would be considered oh. sexual harassment. So think about that again. It's common sense. It's amazing. Yeah. And that is why I don't know, you know, uh, mama pair, mama bears, papa bears rise up and be yeah. vigilant and never underestimate that, you know, your child better than anyone. Right. Yes. Be very yes. intentional, uh, uh, intentional yes. about the values that you're communicating and yes. show up, know what's being taught, ask to see the yes. curriculums, you know, show up at those meetings. And, you know, as many times as they shut you down, then double your effort to not yes. be shut down. Yes. We need voices. And, and I, parents are the best flash mob <laughs> we have. Yes. Uh, they yes. really are. And the moms have been showing up big time. We, you know, we've yeah. had Moms for Liberty on here. We've had Parents Defending Education. We've had the leaders of great organizations that are organizing around the country <clears throat> to oppose this garbage, yeah. this, this curriculum yeah. that's destroying our kids. Tell me, so let's talk a little bit about your program, about the educational programs. Who is your target audience uh, for the programs and how do you get this training and resource to them? Well, um, okay, can I back up and just do a little yeah. uh, public service announcement to those parents that you want to show up? On our website, yeah. we have a Parents Matter guide, mm -hmm. and it's just a three-page you know, document that really will help that parent that's kind of feeling intimidated right now, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't want to go into the schools. So we provide yes. you with this guide and also some other resources that you can you can. Um, take in and, you know, maybe create a couple of handouts, not graphic things, yeah. but just good information. So I'll just say That's that. Fantastic. But, and, we, and by the way, we will, I'll list all, your website and all of your resources for sure, because we, we do want our audience to connect with you and get the resources that are necessary for them. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you ask about our target audience. Uh, basically, Ascend exists to promote sexual risk avoidance education. And that came out of, you know, decades ago when, um, you know, comprehensive sex education, uh, dispensing of condoms and contraception seemed to be absolutely urgent because of the um, AIDS crisis in the 1980s. Well, there were some folks, uh, especially uh, initiated by in the Reagan administration who said, wait a minute, why are, are we also telling our kids that it might not be good to have sex when you're in middle school or seventh and eighth grader or become a teen Barrett? And that is when um, what people called abstinence only education, we don't even use that frame because it's uh, or name, it's very inaccurate, doesn't mm. describe what we do. Um, and so sexual risk avoidance was really born out of that. 
And so it's an alternative into schools. So we reach about a million uh, students a year across the country in schools. Ascend, we certify, we have a certification program. Uh, you be, you can become a sexual risk avoidance specialist. And so we train and um, I'm, I'm really thrilled for your audiences to know that we have certified over 2,700 educators across the country. So when you go wow. into a principal's office or to a superintendent's office or the board of education, you can offer an alternative to explicit, inappropriate um, grooming uh, curricula, and that is sexual risk avoidance curricula. So we have wow. a number of programs. Um, we don't we don't have a specific program that goes into the classroom, but we are in touch and we provide you the information of those who do. So there are a number Amen. of very high profile um, curriculums out there that people can offer, and mm-hmm. all of that is on our website. So um, and we want to make sure that there are facilitators who are going in those classrooms and, you know, the juggernaut of cultural messages that's, yeah. that's uh, coming down on our kids every day and creating chaos. We, we are mm-hmm. always uh, addressing um, those issues and providing um, ways to talk about language that can mm-hmm. be clarifying to young students. So that's our main mission. So when you um, are, can teachers get certified in this or can teachers get trained in this? And yes. uh, so that, so they're, they're prepared in the school environment. If they share your material or if they share kind of the strategies and what they know mm-hmm. to help these kids, are they putting themselves at risk in the school district? Well, you know, I don't know of, I mean, when you talk about risk, okay, unless it is in a state where sexual risk avoidance education is prohibited by law, um, then, you know, they may want to look look at that issue. And knowing your state laws, we actually have a, a map that folks can click on their state and find out what the sex ed laws teach in their, in their state or require. Wow. Fantastic. However, you know, sexual risk avoidance education also has a whole lot of information on what constitutes a healthy relationship. How do you build a healthy relationship? And so, you know, there's all that kind of information too in, in those curricula that Mm. it would be very difficult to be, uh, you put yourself in at jeopardy uh, legally or whatever by teaching, you know, good, you know, solid things that we know are protective factors for Mm -hmm. any child, no matter what kind of approach you're using. Can you, so for me, this seems to me that this is a sweet spot to train people through churches, right? Because most people that go to church have a healthy idea about God's design for sexual behavior, and they have a real desire to be able to be armed with information and teaching strategies that can help them, even if they just have preteens or teenagers. Is this something that churches could connect with you and say, hey, we want to be certified. We want to teach these classes uh, for people that come to our church. Yes. And uh, youth pastors, especially, mm-hmm. we've uh, yes. certified a, lot, a, a number of youth pastors uh, come to our certification trainings. We have medical people, we have, you know, trained, you know, educators who are teachers in the classroom. And then we have uh, counselors uh, also Mm. that are interested in that. So, and these are programs that are brought in from the outside into the school, which is, 
is typically how it's done. But sometimes a school won't allow outside, um, you know, uh, speakers yes. because and because of the controversies that can become of that, which which we understand. Right. So we do, you know, we train trainers, right? So we train right. the teachers. I yeah. love that. I mean, this this actually is super exciting to me. I'm thinking about my church. I'm thinking about other churches in the area. That if we really want to make some headway in this area, yep. let's get to the youth pastors. Let's get to the pastors. Let's let's and then let's teach mm -hmm. our our parents how to engage in this area because you know, frankly, we're all winging yes. it, right? I mean, Marianne, we're winging it, right? When it comes to <laughs> the birds and the bees and teaching our kids, and the reason that's a problem is because the risk to our kids right now about this gender identity, this uh, these secretive conversations is so high. We've got to be better equipped. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And and I'll tell you, people knew what's going on. You know, when, when kids are when kids are asked, mm. um, what pronoun do you want to be called while you're at school? What name do you want to use, you know, when we contact your parents? What what what, what name should we use then? Mm. Um, and I know some schools have closets where kids can come and change their clothes. And you've probably heard these things. Yes. This is there. There is so much awareness that needs to be raised yep. because this is such a violation of parents' right and yes. consent and grooming, as you say, of very yeah. vulnerable um, kids. And these are our kids. And, and, you know, talk about moral courage and leadership. Um, yes. Are we, what are we doing? How are we giving them foundations that yes. are secure in who they are, you know, and what life is about? So yes. what we teach our, our, our kids about sex, about marriage and about relationships is very important. Yes. And with all of the negative influences coming, streaming through their phones, through the apps they have through, from friends, through Snapchat and all of the other avenues mm -hmm. for this, right? Parents, we're just constantly trying to put our fingers to prevent the, you know, the, the dam from breaking in some yeah. ways. This helps put us back on offense. And that's what yes. I love about it. Give us some tools, yeah. give, put us back on offense so we can have a better voice of reason and a better voice of wisdom in this conversation. But I wanted to ask you specifically, because the benefits of this training for kids are overwhelmingly positive, right? You talk on your website about some protective factors that mm -hmm. SRA education helps teens develop, that helps them be successful. Mm -hmm. What are some of these protective factors that, and I guarantee you, when you list them, when we talk about them, every single parent is going to go, yeah, I want, my, I want my teenager to have that. Yeah, I want them to have that. Yeah. I, I can guarantee right. you this. They're not being taught any of this in most of our public school education. So the fact that they can right. get here, what are some of the protective factors? Well, probably the, the, the biggest protective factor is a connection with their parents. Mm. That's really communication with parents, wow. uh, personal efficacy, autonomy. And by that, I mean that that child has a sense of who they are and what they believe, even at an early age, mm. because of the intentionality of the parent or caregiver who has you know, instilled that in them. Uh, yeah. in, in a million different small and large ways as they're growing up, mm. you know, um, and then um, a resilience. Resilience is a huge factor. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, we have so many trauma exposed children mm. that we deal with. 
And, you know, trauma just has a reverberating effect. But when you have um, perfect, you know, factors around them where they have good communication lines, not just to parents, but also to schools mm. and also to social services where they can reach out, um, that is a protective factor yes. that is huge. Um, so, you know, and we and, and we're the we're the program. <laughs> I love this. Well, no, I don't love this. I I'm appalled at it, but I love what we do. Mm. All right. So if you go on and you examine some of the comprehensive sex education curricula, they talk to the kids about the fact that you can go to, you can take, you can, um, you can go and get contraception and your parents don't have to know. And so here's a homework assignment. How would you get to the clinic that's downtown from your house? Mm. Would you have to take a bus where would you be able to walk? Could you go with a friend? Wow. Could somebody older drive you? But they make sure to communicate to a student that they can do all of these things that put them at risk behind their, their parents' back. Gosh. What SRA, Sexual Risk Avoidance Education Programs, do is we say, parents, we swing wide the door to you. Come in. Let's have a parent meeting. We want to show you our curriculum. How about if you take this home? Look at it. Are there things in here that we could do better? Mm. You know, you know your child. What do you think your child needs? We want to partner with parents. Mm. And that is a huge difference. Yeah. Because um, our, yes. our, it's, it's as though our, our children are being kidnapped right in front of our eyes. Yes. It's true. I mean, it's maddening, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm listening to what you're saying about how this is being taught in our schools. And I think you're being really kind about it, too. I think, you know, if we really peel back the layers, you could tell us other things that are being said in, in, to our kids. How could any teacher, counselor, health ed person be involved in this in any respect, anyone with a conscience, how they could teach this garbage to put the child in opposition to the parent, to create these secretive conversations. There are a lot of great teachers out there that are in a very difficult situation, right? They want to keep their job. But I can't imagine under any circumstances that this being morally acceptable to any teacher to do this to kids or to present these opportunities to kids in this way. It's disgusting to me. And one of the things we're, ta we're asking people to do is have a nationwide walkout where if this is a matter of conscience for you and you're not going to continue along with the ideology that teachers should teachers should walk out, counselors should walk out, administrators should walk out, and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of kids should walk out. Parents should be pulling them out and finding opportunities for them. The great news is this. That's actually happening. Enrollment in my wonderful state of Colorado right now in the public school system is down in some areas by 50%. In California, the same thing is true. People are choosing other options like homeschooling and like homeschool co-ops and charter schools and other things. And it's a wonderful thing to see because that's the only thing I think that's going to get the attention of our educators. Absolutely. And I've seen those numbers also, uh, Jimmy, and they are going down because, you know, there is, you know, I'll work three jobs if I have to have my child in a charter school yes. not to hear this. Yes. But, you know, you asked, how do these teachers do it? How do some of them do it? Well, they bought in to the progressive radical ideology 
um, regarding, you know, sexuality. Yes. But one of the one of the things that they use is they say, well, the reason that we're keeping parents away from or, or you know, not not telling them about their child who is trying to transition at school mm-hmm. is because they uh, suicide rates. Right. So it goes something like this. Well, you know, you could either you do you want a, a, a dead daughter or a trans son? Can you can, now that is emotional manipulation that's going on and it's terrible for parents and for teachers. So teachers are like, we're doing a good thing. This is, you know, righteous. I'm putting quotation marks yeah. there. Um, this is the moral high ground. Yeah. However, the studies show that suicidality and suicide ideation does not increase, mm. right, among this minor children transitioning. Mm. That is not an issue, but they're using that, wow. you know, to make this ploy that somehow this is gender affirming therapy. Yes. Um, and gender affirming therapy that could lead them to cross sex hormones and puberty blockers, the long-term effects of which we have no idea. And which, well, we know they become patients for life and all of that, but um, it it is so heartbreaking. uh, The manipulation, you know, 13 year old girls having double mastectomies, really you're letting, you're letting life altering decisions like that be made without the benefit of counseling. Now, when you look at the when you look at the the science, the medical and the social mm-hmm. science uh, all around across, across the world, what they advise is watchful waiting, yes. right? Because what do we know by science? More than eighty percent of students who go through puberty will resolve the issue and return to their biological sex. Yes, eighty percent. Now, by anybody's statistical standards, that is an enormous, uh, you know, majority. And we should be looking at that and supporting it. And what are we doing? We're rushing them into life altering surgeries and, you know, manipulations. So um, I love the idea of the walkout. Parents, you know, who else, who better than parents to advocate for their children? Yes. One thing you just mentioned, this is this is such an important topic, right? And I think that we're bringing it to a head now, I think, where people have to make a decision. You know, I, I remember when I was growing up and we talked about peer pressure and there was all kinds of peer pressure back then to do stupid things. And sometimes you did stupid mm-hmm. things and sometimes you didn't, right? Sometimes you avoided them. Yeah. Um, thank God for his right. grace and protection in a lot of ways so that, that, that horrible things didn't go, it didn't happen a lot of times. But what we have now is adult pressure on kids. This is absolute manipulation from an adult in a position of authority and power, making suggestions that will alter the direction of our kids' lives forever. And these are permanent. These are irreversible decisions a lot of times, especially when you're talking about mutilation or surgeries or even these the puberty blockers. Are there, we use these for chemical castration of, of sex criminals. I mean, this, this is not like a, a new drug. This, we know what this does. We don't know what it does long term, but we do know it's very, very bad in the short term. Um, I love this idea of of empowering our kids. I think more than anything, what your educational system does, what this whole idea of SRA does is it empowers kids 
to make healthy, positive, wise choices for their life. A couple more protective factors that they get from this teaching is uh, they learn how to set healthy boundaries. And, and this one I like better than other uh, most of the others. The, it gets them to embrace high expectations and gives them a sense of purpose and hope for the future. Is that true? Absolutely. I love the whole idea of the high expectations. And we have all kinds of stories of, you know, we have one story of a, of a student of a one, actually one of our trainers. Um, she was teaching, she was substitute teaching for a, like a six month period. And she, and they were in inner city. She had no books. Wow. Um, so she finally went and she went to the library and got a group of readers and she gave them to her fifth grade students and said, we're going to, we're going to use these mm-hmm. books. And at the end of the six months, she told those students who were now reading those books fairly well, guess what? Those are seventh grade books. You all didn't even know it, but you exceeded expectations, you know, and they were so, you know, yes. proud of them. They met the challenge. Yes. And, you know, we have tons of, of, you know, stories like that, that just really encourage you to set the high expectations and show them the pathways. Also, Jimmy, I'll just throw this out really Mm -hmm. quick. And I know it's a huge subject. We could talk for hours, Um, but we have been delving into the science of hope. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know, people think, you know, hope is just like wishful thinking, but hope is actually a science. Mm -hmm. And there's about 2000 studies on hope. And it is the the strongest predictor of success in both social, your social life, your intimate life, your relational life. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing work. So we're integrating uh, hope, you know, into our curriculums also. And hope is, you know, aspiring, giving those expectations to students and then not just saying do this and you can do this. Here's how to get mm. there. And that's another protective factor. It's a tool, critical thinking. So we're teaching students how to critically Mm. think. So we start out small. Here's the problem. How are we going to solve it? What do we need? And we take them through that process. Amazing. I love that. You know, hope to me, hope and faith are similar, right? But hope to me is creating a positive expectation for the future. That, that what's coming is not to be dreaded or, or worried about or anxious about, but instead it's, it's, uh, it's something to be embraced, something to lean in on and have a, a high expectation for your potential, for your purpose, where you're going, the direction you have. Is there anything more important than hope, right? Really? And, and you know, we all have that one person or more than one person in our life that has sometimes made all the difference because they said, guess what? You can do yes. more. I see you doing yes. this. And it was just what you needed, yes. you know, to succeed. So we're always, we're always finding ways. We're always looking in sexual risk avoidance education. What can we do, especially for our trauma exposed mm-hmm. yes. children? And we do have a great proportion of those, you know, with that are experiencing trauma. So we're actually giving a webinar um, this coming mm. August, which anybody Fantastic. can sign up for. Um, what does trauma look like in a classroom? So if you're, in a, you're a teacher in a classroom and you, you know, you, you know your 
children are coming from backgrounds where trauma is very likely, what are some of the triggers? Mm. How do they act? And what can you do, mm. you know, to not trigger things or to help minimize it? So we're having a licensed mental counselor do that uh, training, that webinar. That's amazing. And we're going to get the word on out on that because since our government is actively working against our kids and their futures, I think that's a pretty safe statement to make with to anyone with a conscience, to anyone who Very whose clear. eyes are open now, yes. right? Removing the funding for this type of education is a significant problem. I think this is an opportunity for individuals, churches, parents to, to rally. Um, what can parents do about it right now? If you were to say, hey, uh, this is happening, but boy, there's opportunities here. What can parents, what can churches, what can others in the community do to fill in the gap at this point? Well, first of all, show up, right? Never doubt that you are the best advocate for your children and be vigilant. You know, it's not a one-time thing. You really have to stay on, you know, know what's being taught. And we know it's not just being now taught in one you know, type right. of class, family life or health or by, right. you know, whatever it's being taught all over. And so you need to make sure that even the environment is not sending a yeah. message that we're not having flags and decorations that are what promoting an ideology that you may, it may be controversial. Mm -hmm. Schools are for everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're not to promote religion. We should not be promoting sexual ideologies mm -hmm. either. Yeah. So that's one right. thing, but being vigilant and showing up and letting Congress people know, letting your representatives, your senators, your representatives know that you want an alternative to explicit, you know, trans promoting, uh, trans identity promoting uh, uh, gender, you know, fluid yes. <laughs> education and that there is an alternative out there. Now, right now, on the government side and the funding side, there is a state block grant, it's called Title V that uh, all states get and it is, are they are eligible for, and they uh, can teach sexual risk avoidance education. There's also a sister uh, comprehensive state block grant mm -hmm. called PrEP. So those, we have about $75 million and it's divided up to the states uh, in relationship to the number of students who live in poverty wow. in a state. So there's an algorithm for that. But the standalone sexual risk avoidance education um, funding that was given to us by our champions mm -hmm. in the Senate, in particularly Senator mm -hmm. Blunt, who unfortunately is retiring, um, that was removed by the House just last uh, at the beginning okay. of the month. And so we need, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, yep. last month. So we need people to begin to contact their representatives and say, you know, if you have the chance, if you are ever given a vote, this is the type of education we want mm -hmm. and need. And it has been proven effective. That. So get engaged with your legislators on both the state and the national level. It's fantastic. Well, Marianne, this has been a huge educational moment for me, for our listeners. I'm tremendously thankful for everything that you're doing with Ascend. This is a big deal. This is a, a great place for parents, for church leaders, for youth pastors, for concerned people in their community to connect, get the resources that they need, get the training, get the signed up for the live webinar so that we can start to get back on offense and take back this narrative about making, uh, helping our teenagers make 
uh, positive, safe, risk avoiding decisions relative to their sexuality. Marianne, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, go parents, you know, anyone who cares about youth, come and see us at Ascend and uh, we'll have your back. You bet. We're going to send them all the information and we'll get them to you and we'll grow the movement. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you.